Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We have reaction to the shooting deaths of two officers in Edmonton. Hamilton students being told to behave this St. Patrick's Day weekend. The NDP retains control of Hamilton Center. Ontario pharmacists say they're willing to do more. Buffalo Wild Wings is being sued over its boneless chicken wings. And there could be good news on the way for homeowners. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Upon arrival, the two patrol members went inside the building, approached the suite, and were shot by a male subject. At this time, all indications are they did not have a chance to discharge their firearms. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Edmonton Police Chief Dale McPhee commenting on the deaths of two police officers in that city who were shot to death while responding to a domestic disturbance call early yesterday morning. The male suspect... Uh, died from a an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. Uh, Jamie Bannon is the president of the Hamilton Police Association and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Jamie. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Another tough day yesterday. What uh, What are you thinking? What are you feeling today? Every time we lose a police officer, the police family suffers. I mean, it's a stark reality of what can happen. But the last few months have been super challenging for the members of the police service. This was a domestic call. Are these types of calls really difficult to handle? A domestic call is an an everyday occurrence for officers. Uh, That's any type of family trouble happens regularly. So to say the call is at risk, I mean, it's an everyday call. I mean, where else do you show up to help people, people safe in your uniform and you are then murdered for doing so? As you said, it's been a very difficult few months uh, for police in this country. You know, the fatal shooting of OPP Constable Greg Pierce-Jala comes to mind as well during what was, you know, essentially a traffic stop. Is, is this on the minds of your members every day? Are or, or, or police officers thinking about the what-ifs all the time? I would say yes, and more so recently, because where else do you go to work, put your uniform on, and show up to keep the community safe or help someone roadside, for example, in that example, and for doing so, you're, you're you're murdered or shot and killed. Like it's it's not it's like no other, and it's so much. So many things have happened in the last few months that again, I think it's a heightened response for anybody working in the police services. Jamie Bannon is the president of the Hamilton Police Association and our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. What supports are in place for local officers for your members to help cope with these tragic and senseless events? In Hamilton here, we have uh, our own peer support, which is always very helpful for our members to lean on each other, to understand the scenarios and the situations. Um, There's other services, Wounded Warriors, Boots on the Ground. There's other community um, supports that we can use. People are allowed, we have uh, benefits that allow them to reach out for mental health supports as well. And that's a focus. Um, My passion always has been wellness. It's so important, especially in the last few months to focus on wellness and take care of our members, to take care of the community. They have to take care of themselves. And it's important that as a police association, we support them. How are your members coping with this? It must weigh heavily on their minds. Oh, it does. And with, uh, like you said, one close to home, I mean, there's several close to home. Uh, It's just, like I said, it's never been so uh, prevalent within the Canadian communities and let alone Ontario and close to Hamilton. So our members are definitely feeling it. 
um, they're asking questions and looking for more supports as well as, um, you know, it's, it's very hard too as well. I want to take a quick moment to say we've, as a profession, have been under a bit of attack lately and it's disheartening when um, you go every day, leave your families to protect the community. And sometimes there's community leaders or people elected that are uh, not supportive of police. And it's important to understand that we need support as much as you do to keep people safe. That's a great point. And, you know, not to get too political, but there has been, as you know, a, you know, a defund the police movement. This, this kind of call in, in that sense would have potentially put a social worker in the line of fire. It's really a no-win situation. No, it's not. And it's important to understand that uh, the police services are welcome to come to the table and collaborate and discuss ways to keep communities safe. But right now, the people that are keeping the community safe need to be protected, need to be supported. They will always be there for you. So don't forget that and, and let them know and appreciate them. Absolutely. Well said. Jamie, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Jamie Bannon is the president of the Hamilton Police Association. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. One of the things we do not want to be talking about on Monday morning is the wild and crazy and destructive St. Patrick's Day parties whether it's here in Hamilton or anywhere else on the planet. Let's hope that's not the case. Fingers crossed. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. And I mention that because Hamilton Police, the city of Hamilton, McMaster University, all encouraging students to keep their gatherings this St. Patrick's Day and weekend, not only small, but respectful as well, because there have been some, well, disrespectful um, uh, parties and get-togethers in past years. Crystal Lee Ernst is a constable with Hamilton Police and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Constable Ernst, good morning. How are you? Yes, good morning, Rick. Thanks so much for having me, and happy St. Patrick's Day to yourself. Same to you. I, I do want to offer you the chance to comment on the terrible situation in Edmonton and, and how police and the public are, are mourning today. Your thoughts on, on what has happened? Well, Rick, we are now in a situation where we have another two officers who were murdered in the line of duty as a result of doing their duties. Um, this is something that we never want to see, and we have seen it too fervently in the last several months. Well, we're thinking about uh, you and all the other police officers who are on the ground keeping us safe, and, and thank you for doing so. Uh, let, let's get to St. Patrick's Day. How is uh, the, the city, police, McMaster getting ready for St. Patrick's Day revelers? So... Hamilton Police will be continuing to go out, conducting our ride lanes throughout the weekend. Uh, we're asking that, you know, uh, impaired driving is 100% preventable. So if you see someone who may have distracted driving behaviors or maybe uh, showing signs of impairment as a citizen, it's a collaborative effort. Please call 911. That is a 911-generated call uh, for anyone who may be showing signs of impairment while driving. We ask that you make a plan. Uh, phone a friend or make alternative arrangements, do a ride share, make, have an idea of how and you're going to get to wherever your destination is to enjoy those festivities. With St. Patrick's Day on a Friday, and I just thought about this, I mean, celebrations are going to stretch into the weekend. Is there a greater chance, I guess, that things could get out of hand? You know what, Rick, last night our officers arrested five individuals for impaired driving. So that's five individuals off the streets for impaired driving. That that number is high. We do see impaired driving overnight um, continuously. However, five overnight is extremely high. We we ask that everyone do their part and, and drive responsibly. 
Crystal Lee Ernst is a constable with Hamilton Police and joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're talking about St. Patrick's Day gatherings this, well, today and this weekend, and hopefully they will remain small and respectful. Um, there's a zero-tolerance zone in effect near McMaster. What does that mean? So zero tolerance is in effect from the 17th to the 19th, and these are bylaws um, that we are going to be uh, enforcing for nuisance parties. Um, And if one is declared, then that will be into effect. So we just ask that if you are gathering for St. Patrick's Day and enjoying festivities, that you do so responsibly and that you are doing that maybe at a venue that's supporting um, a a St. Patrick's Day party. Absolutely. What's the most difficult part of dealing with large crowds, which we could see today or this weekend? So, as you know, it far outnumbers the officers who are present. So uh, we've seen in past where there are officers, um, you know, having crowds of upwards of thousands of individuals. So that's concerning. That's an officer safety issue, as well as uh, it poses significant issues for our officers who are out there um, tending to those high numbers. So we ask that everyone, again, uh, keep those gatherings to a respectable amount and uh, head out to a commercial establishment that is already hosting one of those St. Patrick's Day events. I know you can't give me um, uh, official numbers, but uh, can we see more officers on the street than ever before this weekend? I can confirm that we do have additional officers who will be conducting ride lanes, um, active patrol throughout the city, and uh, enforcing that. So the increased number will be on our streets this weekend and all today as well. Well, I wish uh, you, uh, Krista Lee Ernst, and all the other police officers uh, in Hamilton and across the country, for that matter, to uh, be safe this St. Patrick's Day and, and this weekend. And thanks for keeping our community safe as well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Rick, and take care. Happy St. Patrick's Day. That is Constable Krista Lee Ernst, Hamilton Police. Uh, She and a number of other officers will be out and about today and throughout the weekend just making sure people are behaving. Hey, it's okay to have fun. We want people to have fun, to celebrate not only this day or however you wish, but uh, we do have to remember that there are other people who are impacted by, well, some of the dumb decisions that have been made in the past. So try to keep that in mind. I know easier said than done when you have alcohol in the mix and who knows what else, but uh, let's be mindful of our neighbors as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hey, we have a winner in what was an extremely low-key nothing to see here by election in Hamilton Center, at least not much to see. Uh, until anti-Semitism waded into the waters. As expected, the NDP Sarah Jemma won yesterday's by-election in Hamilton Centre, and quite easily she collected 54% of the vote. She won by about 6,000 ballots. Liberal Deirdre Pike turned up in second place with 20% support, 15% for the PC candidate, and 7 for the Greens. Here to break it all down is Sabrina Nanji, founder of Queen's Park Observer, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Sabrina, welcome back to the show. How are you? Pretty good. A little tired from last night, but I've got my leftover by-election pizza on tap for breakfast, so I, <laughs> I think I'm good to go. What, what's, what, what are some of the toppings that you got going there? Um, I'm an extra cheese kind of girl. <laughs> I keep it simple. Nice. What do you make of yesterday's voting results? 
Um, you know, I think one of the big takeaways was how low voter turnout was. It, it was around 22%. And while it's not really surprising, it was, I guess, personally, just a little depressing. Um, you know, by-election uh, turnouts are typically lower. And last spring, uh, when we had the general election, it was a record low for Ontario province-wide. Um, but as you mentioned at the outset, you know, Sarah Jama, the NDP candidate, uh, handily held on to her seat, won by about 6,000 votes. She was unfazed by that. Uh, one of my other takeaways was that the liberal Deirdre Pike actually managed to, um, you know, raise the the liberal status and bringing them into second place in the riding, you know, um, outflanking the PCs compared to last June as well. Sarah Jana had a uh, last minute apology to quell detractors after she made uh, anti-Semitic remarks a couple of years ago. I, I guess this issue did not really resonate with many voters, or at least they didn't care. Yeah, it was supposed to be kind of this quiet win. Um, I mean, the NDP has obviously held this riding for, you know, essentially since its creation. And so I think that the, the whole anti-Semitism controversy, which JAMA actually issued this sort of, you know, late in the game apology last night, uh, I, I think that it obviously did not do enough to, to take her down. But of course, the issue is is incredibly nuanced and it's this perpetual political hot potato. Um, I, I know that CHML was among some of us, myself included in the gallery that JAMA was kind of avoiding and, and not doing interviews with. And so I think it, it was kind of uh, a, a, like apparent that they had to address this, the party. Otherwise, you know, the more you avoid reporters, the more questions we have. And so I think uh, it was a necessary move, not only to acknowledge, you know, uh, as JAMA said, these harmful comments to the community, but also if she had shown up at Queen's Park next week and after avoiding reporters, of course, it would kind of steal the thunder on her first day at Queen's Park. We would be asking her about these comments and what she has to say about them. And so I think that they've kind of avoided, uh, you know, a, a bit of a derailing on Jamma's first day by acknowledging this and apologizing. Um, but but I think it was a smart move for, for her to do as late in the game as it was. Did she um, spend some time speaking with the media last night after the win? Uh, she didn't call me. I did have some people on, on the ground there. But I think that especially now that she has sort of addressed this and, and uh, the same with Marit Stiles, uh, because obviously this was a big test for Marit Stiles, too. It's the first by-election where she's now the new leader of the NDP. And while everyone expected this to be a win, uh, if anything short of like a slam dunk for the NDP would have been, a, you know, a, a stain on, on Marit Stiles. And she's got another test coming up nearby in Kitchener Center. Because, of course, Laura May Lindo had resigned her seat um, and that will trigger a by-election soon. And so I, I do think that, you know, the, the onus was on both of them to to address this issue. And now that they've done it, they've probably avoided some more controversy, not giving gas to a story that that clearly they don't want to be the, the focus of, of JAMA's win. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Sabrina Nanji, founder of Queen's Park Observer. You can subscribe to it, qpobserver.substack.com. Other news at Queen's Park, uh, the province's ethics commissioner pausing the investigation into Premier Ford over his stag and doe for his daughter. What's going on here? Yeah, this was uh, another um, a sort of a bombshell, you could say, coming from uh, the ethics watchdog who typically you call it a rare move, let's say. Um, usually he's a bit more clear on on his decision making. And at this point, 
he is sort of putting pause, uh, which which is a bit of a rare step for him. And he already is investigating these allegations from opposition MPPs as to whether Greenbelt developers were tipped off. Um, and of course, you know, uh, as Wake has launched that investigation, more details have come out. We now know that uh, developers and government stakeholders had attended Doug Ford's daughter's wedding stag and doe. They paid 150 bucks to get in. And the, the key difference here is that Wake's current investigation sort of focuses on the housing minister. It does not focus on the premier and, and Doug Ford specifically. And so Mart Styles and the NDP filed a follow-up complaint. Wake is just putting pause on that right now, which would be, um, you know, obviously problematic for Ford, but also very compelling if he decides to take on this investigation. But it, it, it's kind of like the watchdog is only as good as his teeth. And that was my main takeaway from his 10-page decision uh, that that he put out yesterday, he essentially says that the only question that really matters here, the only power that he has to investigate or, or find any potential wrongdoing is whether Doug Ford himself actually received funds personally. And it doesn't sound like that happened. Obviously, we've heard the premier deny it. Um, paying 150 bucks to enter an event uh, for your, your daughter's wedding might seem sketchy and may not pass the smell test for some critics. But uh, as the watchdog says, he only has so much power to investigate and them's the rules. So the saga is not over by a long shot. Certainly a lot of questions, but I'm really looking forward to what Wake is digging into and, and what he turns up. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Sabrina, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. That is Sabrina Nanji, founder of Queen's Park Observer. You can find out more online at qpobserver.substack.com. Some uh, juicy tidbits of info on that site. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Three years. It's hard to believe. Three years into the COVID-19 pandemic. And Ontario pharmacists say... You know what, it's time for their roles to be expanded even further to support people with prevention and management as they recover from this illness. If, they, if you've contracted COVID, maybe you have long COVID, pharmacists say, hey, we, we can do more. John Papastergio is a Canadian Pharmacist of the Year, owner-operator of Shoppers Drug March, assistant professor at the Universities of Toronto and Waterloo, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. John, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. Number one, can you believe three years already? I mean, we've been through a lot. Uh, yeah, you know what? It seems like just yesterday, you know, we were starting with all this. And um, yeah, it's flashed by really quickly. But <clears throat> pharmacists have played a huge role during the pandemic. I mean, you know, when, when we saw other kind of healthcare workers back away, urgent care clinics close, things, you know, the public being weird to go to hospitals, where many of them ended up was community pharmacies, right? So the, the, the local community pharmacist was there to support the patients and they they kept their doors open. What was the biggest challenge early on for pharmacists in the pandemic? You know, like I remember the early early days, we we weren't sure what was safe, right? So we were, you know, we were getting news almost every day. We didn't uh, know if we, you know, how we should manage these patients. Should we be referring them all off? I mean, for me, that was the kind of the most nerve wracking part of it. But as we became comfortable with it, you know, we uh, we all acquired PPE. Uh, you know, we implemented social distancing practices within our stores. Uh, we really did become a hub for managing this disease. And then, you know, as vaccines and testing became available, 
uh, community pharmacists took on most of that as well. So it was a, it was a very different environment, I would say, during this last three, you know, these three years over the, you know, the probably the last 10 before that. And we saw, you know, what we were doing move forward very, very quickly. And I think because of that, we built a, a, a lot of goodwill with stakeholders and the public. And now we're seeing that goodwill manifest into new scope for uh, community pharmacists. Yeah, much has been made about the workers on the front line in the healthcare setting. And, you know, when we think about that, we think of doctors and nurses, certainly in the hospital setting, but pharmacists should be at the front of that line as well, because you guys did some unbelievable work in the in the early on of the pandemic. So congrats for that. I want to ask you this. Pharmacists have have been tasked with taking on more responsibilities during the pandemic, and you're among many pharmacists who are saying, hey, we can do more. What more can be done? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, during the pandemic, we noted that we saw the pressure on the healthcare system, and that pressure still exists. I mean, you know, wait times are as long as they've ever been. Uh, frontline physicians, you know, are overburdened with work, and and what we're saying is, you know, uh, you know, frontline workers is, hey, we can do more. We're here. We're available. We're convenient. Uh, you know, patients trust us more than they trust anyone else. Give us more to do. And now we're starting to see that scope. And it started very early on, obviously, with uh, immunization authority around COVID vaccine and the boosters. But more recently, we've got a new prescribing authority. We're able to prescribe a drug called Paxlovid. It's a it's a treatment for COVID. And, uh, you know, COVID, obviously, especially in those with risk factors, things like diabetes, lung disease, hypertension, can be very, very serious still, right? And we know in order to access these therapies, you got to start very, very quickly. So what better place to do that than in a community pharmacy? So, you know, if you test positive, you go into your community pharmacist, they assess you. Now they can actually prescribe the drug with the goal getting you treated quicker and obviously uh, better quicker as well. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, John Papastergio, Canadian Pharmacist of the Year, owner-operator of Shoppers Drug Mart, assistant professor at the Universities of Toronto and Waterloo. We're talking about pharmacists doing more as the pandemic continues to trudge along. What should we be doing to stay vigilant? We know COVID's still out there. We know potentially, you know, if we have multiple vaccines, it is not as bad as was it initially was because, you know, in large part to the vaccination. What should we still be doing? Number one thing, Rick, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. And I can't say that enough. And I think, you know, the public's had some vaccination fatigue, you know, and they're they're, they're, you know, they're weary about getting uh, boosters, but the reality is we know with this disease in particular, if you keep your vaccination status up to date, you get that bivalent booster, um, your, your outcomes are much, much, much better if you tend, if you, if you, if you unfortunately get ill. These patients aren't dying, they aren't getting uh, very, very sick, and they're not requiring hospitalizations. So I think for me, that's, that's the most important message. If someone contracts the virus now, you know, it, 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 it's being downplayed as it's not going to be as serious, even if you have the vaccine. But should people have a COVID plan if they get it? Absolutely. I think very, very important to, to do that. And I think the first thing is you don't want to transmit it. And I think testing is more widely available now. So if you test and you test positive, obviously, you want to social distance, mask, avoid other uh, patients, particularly those with risk factors. But timing, like I said, is super important. So if you test positive, you've got a five-day window there. Get into your pharmacy or make an appointment to see a pharmacist. Uh, if you're a candidate for Paxlovid, they'll get you initiative. And like I said, that improves outcomes dramatically as well. Are you seeing a lot of people coming into your Shoppers Drug Mart stores and asking for Paxlovid? 
you know, the last wave I did see a lot. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the scope had just uh, initiated then and we were seeing, you know, a lot of traffic in those early days. Uh, you know, the incidence has died down a little bit. We don't typically see uh, a ton of COVID right now, but what I do expect is another wave. And we know throughout the entire pandemic that's been happening, right? So we get these surges and then it dies down and another surge. So I expect the next time we get a wave, we're going to continue to see that to see that traffic in our pharmacies. March is also a Pharmacy Appreciation Month here in Canada. I just want to say, John, to you and all the other pharmacists, we appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much. John, thanks for the time today. Enjoy the day and the weekend as well. Yeah, you as well. Okay, thank John you. Papastergio is a Canadian Pharmacist of the Year, Assistant Prof at the Universities of Toronto and Waterloo, also an owner-operator of a shopper's drug mart, actually multiple in uh, the Toronto area. And it's still an important message to convey is that, yes, COVID is still out there. We may not be treating it as serious uh, as in the past, but uh, for some, it is still a very serious issue. So uh, if you do get it, uh, follow all the rules that you've been following. Make sure you're practicing uh, uh, proper hygiene and the like and uh, keep everyone safe. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Wild story in the U.S. of A. Where a Chicago man is suing Buffalo Wild Wings for false advertising, claiming that the restaurant's boneless chicken wings are not actually chicken wings. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. This guy's name is Eamon Halim. He says he went to a Buffalo Wild Wings in Illinois back in January, and he purchased what he thought was deboned chicken wings. Boneless chicken wings, right? And so the lawsuit says, unbeknown to plaintiff and other customers, the products are not wings at all, but instead slices of chicken breast meat deep fried like wings. Indeed, the products are more akin in comparison to a chicken nugget rather than a chicken wing. And it goes on to say, had the plaintiff and other consumers known that the products are not actually chicken wings, they would have paid less for them or would not have purchased them at all. Therefore... The plaintiff consumers have suffered injury, in fact, as a result of the defendant's deceptive practices. Does this guy have a legitimate case? Matthew Reed is a former ad agency executive, professor of advertising, public relations, and creative advertising at Lemoyne College and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Matthew, good morning. How are you? Great, Rick. How are you doing? I'm good. I guess you could say this is a pretty wild story. Yeah, it is. It is. And Wild Buffalo Wild Wings, um, I, I think they're going to be in good shape here, though. I, I, there's a lot of interesting aspects. For starters, the person who's executing this lawsuit actually also sued hefty garbage bags because the, saying they weren't recyclable, that was dropped. So I think this might be more of kind of an attention grab, but hmm. it brings up this age-old question, right? When is it fun and cute or when is it just dishonest about food advertising. But to me, I think the argument really isn't about deceit on behalf of Buffalo Wild Wings, but it's more of a question you argue with over a beer, right? Do you prefer wings or flats, right? Um, or drums or flats when you're having chicken wings? Because how often does this happen, right? Chicken fingers aren't actually fingers. So, you know, you could sue over that. How about the Hamilton Tiger Cats, right? They're not actually tigers or cats. They're football players. So, um, I, I think it's kind of more of a entertaining story than something that's seriously seriously debate so the the restaurant didn't break any rules here when it comes to deceptive business practices no not really when it comes to false advertising i mean there's a lot of different things that we'll do that will allow people to use their imagination to kind of run wild 
Um, as an example, baked Alaska isn't exactly baked Alaska. It's actually, mer- you know, merengue. Caesar salad, you're, you're kind of told that it's an Italian dish, but actually it was invented in Tijuana, Mexico. Mississippi mud pie doesn't have mud in it. So um, a New York strip steak uh, doesn't have to have been made in New York, but it's just kind of where it was stylized. So the idea of the boneless wing, basically like a chicken nugget, uh, there's no nugget, is never a part of any actual chicken or bird. So a lot of times um, we will make different distinctions or play around with things. Rocky Mountain oysters aren't actually oysters, but they're cattle testicles, right? So that's kind of something interesting. Now, you have other areas, though, where like you have food that has uh, set rules. So um, champagne can only be called champagne if it's from a certain region in France. Otherwise, it's sparkling wine or Prosecco. But there aren't any harder to find um, parts on the chicken wing itself. So um, I, I don't think that people typically will go into this and expecting it to have been a deboned chicken wing, but rather, really, they're rather looking for a chicken nugget. Mm-hmm. Still, and a nugget, you know. I was just going to say, still with the food, the Hawaiian pizza was invented by a guy here in Canada. What, what did you think about Buffalo Wild Wings' response? Because they sent out a tweet saying, it's true, our boneless wings are all white chicken meat, our hamburgers contain no ham, our buffalo wings are 0% buffalo. How do you think the company's handling this? Well, I think they're doing great because what they're doing is they're they're capitalizing on the, the, the opportunity for free earned advertising. People are going to share that tweet. They're going to find them to be funny and humorous. And no one is going to stop going there because of the boneless wing. Every bar in their corner from Toronto to Tampa uh, has a boneless wing on the menu. I think they're handling it in good fun. They're they're stepping into it. And it, from a PR perspective, they're only going to benefit from it. Matthew Reed is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Matthew is a former ad agency exec, professor of advertising, public relations, and creative advertising at Lemoyne College. Do you think, even even though this looks very good for Buffalo Wild Wings, do you think that other restaurants are going to analyze their menus and, and maybe, I don't know, be extra careful? I think what they're going to end up doing, it's a, it's a great question, Rick, and you've got a reputation for the good questions. The, the thing is with this is they're going to basically adjust their menus with like a cute little asterisk and at the bottom of the menu say, obviously these aren't really boneless wings or ham- they'll, they'll probably take full advantage and kind of rip off the Buffalo Wild Wings joke. I think that'll be as far as it goes. I don't think they're going to rename the um, the menu. In fact, the idea of, of boneless wings was a way for bars, restaurants to sell more products. When people come in and say, oh, I don't want to like have to get my fingernails all nasty um, with the wings. So really, um, that's about as far as I think that will go. Interesting stuff. Matthew, thanks for shining a light on this and joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Enjoy the day and the weekend. You too, my friend. That's Matthew Reed from Lemoyne College. He's a former ad executive, uh, ad agency executive, and a professor of advertising, public relations, and creative advertising. It is just a bonkers kind of story. And he brought up so many different examples of just in the food industry of how many things have names but are not actually that product. And so I, I think Buffalo Wild Wings is more than okay with what they're offering with their boneless chicken wings. In fact, this might be a huge boost for Buffalo Wild Wings in terms of people getting these boneless chicken wings, taking selfies, you know, having a lot of fun with it. That is for sure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, the Silicon Valley bank collapse 
has come and gone. The ramifications are still being felt, but there are some who suggest that this could have a positive impact on Ontario's housing market. What we know is that home sales in this province last month fell nearly 44% compared to February of 2022 when the market was, you know, still pretty hot. But it was also before the Bank of Canada went on its streak of raising its key lending rate, which forced financial institutions to raise their mortgage rates. So how does this bank collapse in the U.S. affect our market? Well, let's bring in an expert in this field. Clay Jarvis is his name, real estate financial expert and a spokesperson at Nerd Wallet Canada. Clay, good morning. How are you? Hey, morning. How are you doing? I'm good. What is your sense of the current market right now? Um, well, we have to keep things in perspective because, you know, a lot of the real estate data that we get, it's year over year. And so what we're comparing right now with February stats is February 2022. And that was when we established a record high average sale price in Canada and in Ontario. So, you know, we have to expect that things are going to be they're going to look significantly worse now compared to then because it's pretty hard to follow up records, especially when when interest rates are a lot higher. Um, so we got to keep things in perspective. Uh, activity year over year is terrible, but in general, people are still buying houses. There has been a lot of headlines uh, predicting a housing collapse or crash in this country or in this province. Do, do you get that sense? Oh, I think the, the sentiment is out there for sure. Um, but we just aren't seeing prices stay suppressed for long enough to really call it a crash. I mean, we are seeing a lot of average prices across Ontario dip below 20%. And I think when people see, you know, prices dropping by 20%, they think, okay, crash, crash, crash. But again, we're comparing that to record high prices and the prices haven't been low for that long. You know, they are a steady decline since, you know, say last summer. Um, and there isn't a whole lot of indication that they're going to rebound anytime soon. But until we've seen prices really drop, stay dropped, and see sentiment in the housing market kind of turn toxic, where people don't want to buy houses because they see them as a bad investment, I mean, then you're looking at a crash. But, you know, sentiment around housing in Canada isn't quite, it hasn't bottomed out yet. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Clay Jarvis, real estate financial expert, spokesperson at Nerd Wallet Canada. So to this bank collapse in California, Silicon Valley Bank, kaput, how does it have or how could it potentially have a positive impact on our market here in Ontario? Well, what we've seen in the last few days, uh, and it's not just the Silicon Valley Bank collapse, but you've also seen a lot of instability with Credit Suisse in Europe. Uh, where they've been needing, a, I think it was like a $50 billion bailout from, from the Swiss government. Um, you just see a lot of activity in the bond market. And what's happening is that bond yields have really collapsed in the last couple of days. Um, so two-year, five-year, and three-year Canadian government bond yields are all down around about 70 basis points. And why this is important is because our fixed interest rates generally follow the activity in the bond market. So if we see bond yields falling, and if they stay suppressed, then fixed mortgage rates generally follow suit. Now, it doesn't usually happen a couple of days later. It might be weeks or months. Um, but if these bond rates stay low, 
then we should be seeing some uh, some of the numbers on our fixed rates get shaved a little bit. And that could be good for buyers and especially people who have to renew their mortgages. Yeah. So if that fixed rate comes down and people are, you know, in, in that capacity, or maybe, maybe they have a variable mortgage rate and they're looking at these fixed terms thinking, you know, that, that's a lot better number. Is, is your advice, is your recommendation to jump into that fixed term? Well, I mean, if you need the payment relief that switching to a lower fixed rate can get you right now, that's that's an option. But you have to remember that when you make that switch from variable to fixed, you are in that fixed till the end of your term. So if you still have three and a half years on your mortgage, you switch over to a fixed and then all of a sudden rates are a lot lower, say 12 or 18 months from now, well, you don't really get to benefit from that. You're going to be locked in till the end of your term unless you want to break it. And when you break a fixed term, the penalties can be a lot higher uh, than they would be if you're breaking a variable mortgage. So once you're in fixed, it doesn't really make mathematical sense to go back into a variable to maybe realize some lower rates on that on that side. No, no. Lenders don't want you hopping back and forth. <laughs> and probably for good reason. Yeah, yeah. They, they want your they want to know that your your payments are are fixed and that they can kind of budget around the money that they have coming in. Could this lead to more activity in the spring market with people selling their homes or wanting to buy their home uh, more homes? Oh, well, we'll see. I mean, we seen in uh, the last few months that new listings are are dropping off and so it's kind of hard to see see prices dropping a lot if price or if uh, if supply stays low. Um, but I mean, real estate is really the story of how much people can borrow. And if it gets easier for people to borrow money and their mortgage budgets start expanding, then I think it'd just be natural to see more activity coming to the market. Yeah, you're probably right. Clay, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us and enjoy your weekend. Yeah, thanks. Bye, everybody. That is Clay Jarvis. He's a real estate financial expert and a spokesperson at Nerd Wallet Canada, uh, the housing market. In the spring is usually busier than any other time of the year, whether it's February, March, April. So we might see some spikes, especially if interest rates come down anytime soon. Wouldn't that be nice? Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast it's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review